Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Open your Bibles to Isaiah. You know what we're talking about. We're, go- we're talking about prophets and kings, and, and, and we're, we're, we're not going deeply into every single book, but we're, we're getting a kind of a bird's eye view over everything. And so we're going to take a look, bird's eye view, very, very bird's eye view about uh, a little bit of Isaiah and a little bit of Jeremiah. And so as we're, as we're going there and, and talking about it, here's one thing I, I, I'm thankful. Oh my goodness, I see a lot of Bibles. Awesome. One of my things was to bring your Bible to church every Sunday. And I see that some of you have already gotten on that bandwagon without even saying anything. That's awesome. So I encourage you, uh, use your, bring your Bible. Do, you know, it, it is not, it is not wrong for you, you know, to write in your Bible. You're not writing different scripture, but I, I mark these things up. Okay. And, and so mark it up, uh, write, underline, write your thoughts and stuff like that. You're not, that is not violating what it says at the end of the book, okay? Um, it's just giving you a greater understanding of, of what you're reading. Okay, so um, we were talking about, we, we got through Amos, right? You remember we talked about Amos. Amos was from Judah, but he was called to prophesy in uh, Israel, right? And so as he's going up there, um, he, he's going to prophesy. He's going to leave this part of the country. He's going to go into Israel. He's going to prophesy. And the first thing he does is he prophesies against their enemies, which would have gathered them all together and say, yeah, you're right, Amos. We like you. You're prophesying against their enemies and everything that they've done. And then he, he hit the heart of Judah, and they would have said, yeah, absolutely. Judah's horrible. That's why we left. And then all of a sudden, he goes into the prophecies against the northern kingdom Israel, right? And he starts hitting them with their sins. He starts hitting them with their offenses. He's hitting them because what they've done is in, when they broke off, if, if they, they went away and uh, the Jeroboam, and you remember this term that you read throughout the Bible, the sin of Jeroboam, was he was given that kingdom and the 10 tribes by God, but, it, but he didn't do what God had asked him to do. He got scared because he felt that if they went to Jerusalem, all they were gonna do was wanna stay in Jerusalem, then he'd lose his northern kingdom. See, he wanted to stay divided. I don't think God ever intended them for to stay divided. He wanted to bring it back together at some point. But the problem is, is, is Jeroboam didn't want that. So to keep the people where they were, all he did was bring up this entire new worship system, right? He brought in the two new golden calves. These are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. He set up altars in Bethel. He set up altars all over the place. And he started doing false worship there, okay? Not good. Not good at all. And the people were just going along with it. So you'll see that theme throughout the Bible in the Old Testament when they're talking about, you know, the sin of Jeroboam. Why? Because it was so great and it was so offensive and because they would not repent, it's inevitably going to lead to captivity, the destruction, okay? And so I don't think, I mean, I, mean, I know this is Old Testament and sometimes in our thinking we, we look at, oh, that was Old Testament. But the problem with this is, is this is that it's not just a culture this is the deceitful heart of mankind, which goes throughout all the seasons and spans of time, which means the evilness that they were doing right there in, in Amos' time and whatever is the same deceitful and evil heart that we have today. The Bible tells us that the heart is exceedingly wicked. The culture tells you that you're born basically good. The Bible tells you that you were born in sin. And so there's the rub when we're fighting about, uh, about what's real and true between, between uh Uh, culture and true biblical Christianity. Cultural Christianity or biblical Christianity. Even cultural Christianity is, is telling you that you're okay. God made you who you were and you can stay that way. It's because they don't read the Bible. They, 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 they snapshot a few scriptures and they say, Jesus loves you. Yes, he does. You don't have to change, blah, blah, blah. Just, uh, that's not what the Bible does. If you receive him for who you are, you change. Because you cannot have an encounter with the risen Savior and not be transformed. My goodness, they witnessed his transfiguration on the mount, the the three of them that were there. People should be witnessing our transformation because we've encountered him. So wherever we go, there needs to be something different about us. There needs to be something inside that has been birthed by our Heavenly Father through Christ that people look at us and they're like, eh. There is something different. I can't put my finger on it, but there is something different. And from that place, it should be contagious. 
See, we should be having, we should be full of hope. We should be full of faith. We should be full of the goodness and the glory of God so that people, when we walk into places where there's darkness, atmospheres change because of the glory that we carry. It is this. It is as if we are the Ark of the Covenant and we contain the glory. And wherever they go, you know, wherever they took the, you know, Obed-Edom's house, everything Everything was just blossoming. Everything was great in this house. Why? Because the presence was there. How much more, if the presence is in us, should we not be effective in the culture? But sadly, we're spiritually fat. I got a little physical going on too, but spiritually fat. We've heard so much. We've taken in so much, but we're not pouring out nearly enough to affect the change that God is desiring. I'm talking that church as a whole in America. There are pockets of revival. There are pockets of things that are happening. But if the nation was truly the majority Christian that, they, that has been said in the past, the things that we're struggling with as a nation would not be there. Laws would not be on the books if it were really true. My fear is that we are majority cultural Christianity. We are not a majority biblical Christianity. And because we're a majority cultural Christianity, it has no power to stand up against anything because she's like, she's like a boat without a sail. She's just drifting by wherever the waves take her. Not so with biblical Christianity. Not so if the glory of God is in you. So we're seeing that, that Israel and, and Judah are, are struggling, are falling. They've had encounters with God, though. It's not like they haven't. You know, they've got the testimonies of, of, of their faith throughout the centuries, right? I mean, they've got the testimonies of great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa Jedediah who walked through the Red Sea without his, without his sandals or his bare, his bare feet getting wet, right? Grandpa times five Jedediah used to talk about that when I was just, you know, riding a locust or whatever they did back then. I don't know. But they had the testimonies of what God has done. They had the testimonies in the word of what God would do. But yet somewhere down the line, what was hidden in their heart of his word became released, not in a good way. See, they started walking away with what the, the, the things that God had said in his word. They no longer hid it in his heart. They hid it in the temple to the point where Josiah is, 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 is coming to be king. And all of a sudden, one of the priests is probably looking through the, the, the old office in the, the temple somewhere, and he finds this book. And it's like, oh my goodness, that's a book of the law. Where has that been all of our life, right? And they read it and they take it to Josiah. And what happens? This powerful reformation and revival in, 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 begins to happen. And, not, and Josiah not only becomes an a okay king, or he's not a bad king, but he becomes this king that, that finishes. He doesn't just say, well, we're going to follow God, we're going to leave the high places alone. He's going through everywhere. He's tearing down altars that have, and he's killing priests, man. He's hacking them up. Why? Because they're offering stuff to a foreign gods and they're leading people astray. And so Josiah's like, this, get the sword out, hack them up. You see, I'm not suggesting that we bring our swords and every time I say something wrong, you stab me. That's not what I'm saying. I will have probably lots of cuts. But what I am saying is that the, the, the word of God, which is the sword, needs to be pointed inward towards us to cut away the crap and the false altars that we have built inside here that is only supposed to be reserved for him and his glory. But because we're offering up things to foreign gods, you're like, Steve, I have never bent my knee to Baal. Okay, but maybe the NFL. There's, there's tons of things. Whatever you give your time, your treasure of your heart to more than God, it ha has become your God. And I'm looking through my things from last year, and one of the things that I wrote, uh, uh, if you remember, in, in Jeremiah, oh, I better get my glasses on. I hate this. I was at, oh, I was at Kohl's, right? Got a sale on Kohl's. It was really good. After Christmas shopping, very excited. The only problem was I couldn't read the size of shirts because I didn't have my glasses. I'm not happy about that. So I, I'm, I'm going like this all the time. I think that's a large, extra large, you know? Thankfully, I was, I was right. 
I don't like that. I'm, I'm whining. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm complaining over here. Okay. Well, thank you. Put your sword away, man. Okay. All right. So one of the things that in, in April, what the Lord spoke to me, and I, I think I've been faithful to what he spoke to me. It wasn't just for, for that moment. It was for my life in Jeremiah. And so I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm, I don't know, I'm about ready to watch something. I'm sure it was something good. But... Um, and all of a sudden, before it came on, I heard the Lord say, Jeremiah 1.17. I've told you this story. I told you this back in April. But I, I'm, I'm not a person who has memorized every single verse of the Bible. You can ask me, hey, Steve, what does Jeremiah 1.5 say? I, I'll, let me go look it up for you, right? Okay? I, I, I'm not, that's not a, necessarily a bad thing. It's just the Bible is big. So I had to go. I'm telling you this because I didn't automatically know what Jeremiah 1.17 was. It wasn't my subconscious playing a trick on me. It was the Lord who spoke into my heart while I was sitting on the couch. And he said, Jeremiah 1.17. That's all he said. And so when I went to Jeremiah, and I knew it was him because I went there. And it says, now get ready, stand up, and tell them everything that I command you. Do not be intimidated by them or I will cause you to cower before them. And I stopped right there and I know exactly what he was saying to me. Like, Steve, we're, we're in a world of cultural Christianity. I'm calling people. And it's not just me. It's not like, it's not just special Steve. God is, is pouring that call out on, on the hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of pastors that take this pulpit or their pulpit. And what he's saying there, it's like, listen, I am asking you, I am begging you to get ready and stand up and tell them everything that I command you and don't be intimidated by them. Why would he say that to us now? Because cultural Christianity is intimidating. It's how it works. You're a bigot, you're a racist, you're intolerant, all these different kinds of things that's coming at you hard. And all of a sudden, people that you knew your entire life are now looking at you a little differently because they've drifted more into cultural Christianity than you really ever thought was happening. And now here comes the rub. Now there's something coming down the line where you, know, you, can't, you can't make peace with somebody who's your enemy and doesn't want to be your friend. You can't make peace with that. You can't make peace with the devil. Many people try. They try to make deals, but it, it doesn't work. The whole political system that we're talking about, it, it's, 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 not, it's not the political system of back in the day where we all shared the same values, but we're just going around the mountain in a different way. We don't share common values anymore. The church has, has lost your voice and people are not meeting at the church to discuss anything. She's become irrelevant to the culture and because of that, the value system of entire nation has begun to drift and those who were cultural have drifted with it. And what the Lord is doing now, I think more than anything, forget anything, what, what he was telling me through this is I'm, I'm about to shake the foundations of the church. Forget the world, the church. Because unless the church is purified and comes back to biblical Christianity and a biblical type of thinking and not fearing the spirit of God but relying on the spirit of God. It's not one or the other, it's both. Unless she comes back, there is no voice to speak to the culture and there is no place for them to come if people have been touched or if God has been talking to people. So there's this, there's this thing that's shaking and rattling the foundations of the church. And I, I think the Lord is, is speaking just for me is that it, what you did yesterday is not exactly what's going to work today. Like what happened in great-great-grandma's church and the way they did things back in 1930 is not necessarily the same thing that God is wanting to do or, or the way God is wanting to do it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he does things differently at different times and in different seasons. And because of that, it's important for us to, to be grounded in the word and listening to his spirit in us. Because even evangelism, the way you do it can be different today than what it was. Nowadays, you don't necessarily go knocking door to door like you used to back in the day. Why? Because people don't like people coming to their doors. Because the world's a more dangerous place. Nowadays, you're not sure what's going to be behind that door. And I'm not saying you can't, but I'm just saying there are, there are ways. And, and we need to adopt ourselves to what, the, what God is doing now, not the way he did it back then. The message doesn't change, but the way it comes in can and how it's delivered may 
and we can't be afraid of that. So he's shaking the things of the church, you know, the, the, the systems of the church. And I think the reason he's changing the systems of the church is because too many people have relied upon the system as their God instead of God as their God. And so when the system gets shaken on how we used to do church, all of a sudden people are throwing their hands up and arguing about this, that, and the other. Why? Because God is not their God. The system is their God. This is why you have fights over everything in the church. This is why we don't do congregational votes on carpet, because it really doesn't matter to you. You're going to spill coffee on it anyway. Right? So who cares? We're just, if something has to be done, we're just going to, to do it. But, but we've got we've to change our, our thinking a little bit for, for what's coming up. And I'm not saying... I'm not, a, I'm not a prophet, people. I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what 2021 is going to be. I'm not going to say it's your best. The bad type of thinking and the bad type of theology out there on the other side, too, is, is the type of thinking that, oh, God's going to make up for 2020 and 2021. Shut up. God doesn't have to make up nothing to you. You already saved. If that's all there is, it's more than enough. So it's not about God's going to make up, God's going to do this. What God is going to do is provide you with everything that you need during whatever season that you're going through to be effective for him. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. That's, that's it. That's it. Steve is not buying a Cadillac this year. Or ever. What? Uh, yeah, cattle, not a Cadillac. Right. Thanks. You know, I'm not placing all my hope in, in, in material things and using them as a sign of thinking God's blessing me because it wasn't in the Old Testament. They were being blessed, but that wasn't because God was saying that they're doing okay. He wasn't ignoring their spiritual conditioning and, and to bless their economy. He, there's, there's, there's years of grace that God gives for people to turn before he slams the door of judgment upon people. And sometimes you're living in a past blessing, but it's a past blessing. And it does not give you the right to walk away from God's word. It does not give you the right to do things on your own because you're living on a past blessing. Because at some point that's going to end. And if you don't turn, God's going to be coming knocking on the door of your heart. Not because he hates you, not because he's going to throw lightning bolts at you. He's not Zeus, but because he loves you and he doesn't want you to go around wrong tracks or wrong thinkings. All right. So look what's happened here in, uh, we'll, look at, uh, we'll look at Jeremiah first since I'm already there. So he was, this is what the Lord had spoke to me in April 2020. And, it, and it's, not, it's, it's not going to change the rest of my life. And I don't think it's necessarily going to change uh, for, for anybody. We need to be ready to, to speak the word of God into situations that God is calling us to do it. Speaking to friends, neighbors, aunts, uncles. Don't be just resigned for people to die in their sin and go to hell and think, well, I spoke about it once, but they didn't say anything, so they must not want Jesus, so they're going to die in their sin. My goodness. How many times did I ignore the call of God before I finally gave in? He didn't do that to me. So it's not time for you to give up on the people that are lost. It's, it's not time for you to, to sit back. It's not time for you to just duck and cover and wait till Jesus comes back. It's time for us to be full of the word and full of faith, moving into what God has called us to do for this year. Because I'm going to tell you something. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. I don't particularly know how he's going to come back. See, we're so wrapped up in the church, if you don't have the right type of eschatology, you may not be in the church. What they're really saying is that it's Jesus and the right eschatology, or like, just like Jesus and baptism, or Jesus and circumcision. It's Jesus and this. I, I hope he comes back in a cloud. I hope he comes back. I hope it's, I hope it's the rapture. I'm, I'm betting on that. I, I, I like that. If I get a vote in this, I'm voting rapture. I am. I'm, I'm a rapture voter. But I don't get a vote in that. What if we do go through it? Is your heart prepared? Don't let your eschatology keep your heart from being prepared for what God is wanting you to do now. We don't necessarily have a particular stance as a church. 
Well, nobody's thrown a rock yet. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So uh, I'm the one who has, this is what he says and continue with. He says, I'm the one who's made you a, a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze walls against the whole land, against the lands of Judah, its officials, its priests, its population, and they will fight against you but never prevail over you since I am with you to rescue you. This is the word that the Lord had given Jeremiah because he was living in a cultural, I'll just use this term for Old Testament, they were living in cultural uh, Judaism, if you will, or, or a Christian, I'll use Christianity for today, but they were becoming cultural. They were following other gods. They had left them. It's not that they just would totally forget who Yahweh was. It's just that he wasn't enough. And so there would be other things in the temple, right? Things of Baal uh, in, in the very temple of where God, this is why when, when, when Nebuchadnezzar comes and, and things begin to fall and Judah falls, that they go and they take everything out of their temple, all their treasures. These people are left with nothing. They have, the, and, and in the first time that they're taking, you know, because they, they took waves of people out. The first wave, they're taking a lot of the, the priest and the influential and the rich, rich people during the first wave of taking people into exile. Why? Because what's left, although it's not coming yet, has nothing to lead them. There's, there's not going to be any real rebellions because all of the influential religious and all those people who would do that have been taken in the first wave and into exile. And so they have been left and destroyed and they have absolutely nothing because of their sin. Before that, Jeremiah is like, he's got this thing. He's like, I've, I've got to preach, I've got to teach, and I've got to tell what God, but the entire culture was against him. You think that's not happening today? Because you're in it too. You have decisions to make in your own, in your own heart. And sometimes it's easy for us, maybe not living necessarily in, in huge cities and stuff like that, living in mostly rural America or our big cities or Clinton, thriving metropolis, right? And so it comes times because what may be happening in other places really, you know, hasn't hit Peoria yet, right? And so sometimes we get used to letting things just slide by because it's not really going to affect me here, even though it's affecting brothers and sisters, just whether it be on the coast or whatever. And so it's already begun. What we've done is we've already begun to compromise in our own hearts to stay safe when the culture is going to be coming against what you believe. Don't compromise your heart to that. Be one of these people that, that, that God is calling out to that will be someone who will speak the truth. And I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not saying you're gonna be a prophet. You're just declaring what God has, has put in your heart to declare in whatever situation he's put you in. Sometimes it may be at a relative's house. Sometimes maybe, maybe your shot was New Year's Eve when everybody was together and God's like, you know, you should really say something just talk to Aunt Doris or whoever, blah, blah, blah. You're like, no, there's going to be a lot of people there, and blah, 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 blah. See, when you start saying, when you start, when God is, starting, is nudging at your heart to do something, and you're like deflecting and deflecting, you've begun the path of ignoring God's word in your own life. It's, it's the path. You don't start out just all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, hey, you know what? Ah, oh, I don't really like God. It starts as compromise. It starts, it starts small and then begins to build and build and build because there's, there's a worldly type of comfort in that type of compromise. It's comfortable to compromise. I don't have to stand up against people who, who are coming against me because of what I believe. And let me tell you somebody, something, people. You, <laughs> I mean, we're going on a, you know, I, I've asked you to go on a, a media fast, but it doesn't take long for you to be on Facebook and to see where people's hearts really are. Those of you who are on Facebook. Some of the things that are coming off Facebook that you thought people were like rock solid in their theology are like, wow, where's that even coming from? Because it's not coming from his word, but it is coming from the culture. These are just, these are just signposts that, are, that we can look at and say, hey, listen, we need revival. We, we desire God to pour out his spirit along with his word and, and value it to pull us from drifting all the way over this way and back into honest, desperate pursuit of him. And I think the church can do that if the church understands her purpose. 
All right. Now, the first thing about Jeremiah, and I'm going to do this with uh, Isaiah 2. Look what he says. It says, The words of Jeremiah Hilka, one of the priests living in uh, Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin tribe. The word of the Lord came to him in the uh, 13th reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. It also came throughout the days of Jochim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the fifth month, the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, the king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. So this word, I want you to understand something, that God is giving this word to Jeremiah, but he's giving it to him and reminding him a few times throughout his life, right? This is the word. This is what you gotta do. You gotta stay, preach what I give you, or, or you'll cower before them right? Preach it, preach it, preach it. Preach what I tell you, or you're going to cower before them. But he's reminding them of this. This is a good thing about God, is he may give you, he, he may speak something into your heart, but it's not a one time of done. He, he'll keep bringing it back. He'll keep reminding you, like you keep, sometimes we remind God of his promises. He reminds us of, of what he's spoken over our life, and that's a comfort, you know? When the Lord speaks to your heart and reminds you of things that he's spoken, that is so comforting, and sometimes the Lord will remind you of things that he's done in your life. Why does he do that? Does he just like to relive the past? No, no, no. Because the power of the testament, there's power in his testimony. If, if, if he reminds me, like, oh man, you know, you remember, I remember we were stuck between the Red Sea and, and the Egyptians coming and we were gonna die. And then the sea split. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I remember that. I'm, I'm hitching my wagon to Yahweh. It's the same thing happens with us today. You know, it's like, oh, man, you know, you start talking over a year, and all of a sudden you're like, you remember when, when we were in this position and God showed up? And all of, a sudden you, all of a sudden, what begins to happen in your spirit? All of a sudden, it begins, it begins to come alive. Why? Because that's faith building in you, because you've been reminded of the faithfulness of God in the past that you know you can trust him with your future. It's the power of the testimony. It's very powerful. I remember when I was growing up in the church in the 70s and 80s that every once in a while we'd have testimony. Sunday night might, they used to come to church on Sunday night. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you remember that. But we did. We went to church Sunday morning and we went to church Sunday night and we were in church Wednesday nights. And most of the time it was preaching from the word. And we did not have cell phones and we did not have tablets. And we, I, I, I will confess, I drew on paper now and then when I was young. But, you, you know, if you were young, you just had to sit there and take it. That's what you felt like when you were growing up. What you did not know is what God was pouring into you at that time and would draw from later if you would yield your heart to him. Because nothing that is spoken, even though you're like, oh, 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 your spirit's not dead. And there's a well from God to draw from in your past when you surrender your life to him. I can't tell you how many things have come from my past. Not all my past was perfect, but God's word does not return void. So all those messages I was hearing on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all those different kinds of things that were happening. I'm talking till for, for 18 plus years, people. Some people go to school for eight and come out with a PhD. I went to church for 18 years, Monday, or Sunday morning, Sunday night, and was listening to the word of God being preached, and my spirit was absorbing it, even though my soul may have not cared too much. My spirit was absorbing because his word does not come back void. So when I come back to the Lord, what happens? The renewing of the call that I got that when I was five, and the word of God, and the welling up of the word of God in me. And I'm telling you, there's testimony that is in your life right now that if you will go back and remember the faithfulness of God in your past, you will look and not be afraid of what stands before you. There's nothing to be afraid of for 2021. There's nothing. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying don't have common sense. I'm not even saying don't be cautious. What I'm saying is do not fear. Do not fear. Remind yourself of the things that God has spoken over your life or the things that God has done. Allow him to remind you. Sometimes sit down in prayer and just say, Father, Father, remind me of things that I have forgotten. Do you know that, do you know that he will? He will. Okay. So there is this, he's got this, 
word that's been spoken to him. And, and listen, it's called, uh, if you have a little subheading, some say like the call of Jeremiah. It said, the word of the Lord came to me and he said, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you to the prophets and the nations, which means this, he didn't grow up and, and, and find his calling. His calling was given to him before he ever took a breath on this earth. The Lord had called him. And the Lord is telling him that before you were even formed, you were chosen for this particular time. If we were reading the book of Esther, it would say like this, for such a time as this, right? There are still those such a time of this moments left to be had for us in the church. It's not just for Esther. It's not just for Jeremiah. Some of you, God has, all of you, God has plans and destiny and purpose for you to fulfill that were before you ever stepped on this earth. You may not be a prophet. You may not be any of that kind of stuff, but it's something and it's there. And, and, and don't get wrapped up because it may not be what somebody else is. Don't, don't compare, but just sit back and listen and, 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 and submit your heart to the spirit of the Lord and his word and conform your life to that. Don't conform his word to your life. And let it be what, it, what God has ordained it to be and then just do it. Don't hype yourself up. Don't psych yourself out. Just walk in obedience. Why? Because if you do, no matter what you see in this physical reality, you have spiritual forces that are walking with you. As the prophet is sitting on the mountain and his, his, his servant is like, oh my, God, it's going to get bad. It's going to be bad. And he says, Father, will you open his eyes so he can see? And he begins to see these heavenly hosts surrounding him that are about to go into battle for them. It's the same today. Do not take the supernatural out of the word of God. Because it's there today like it was there 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. He's the same God calling the same things and will work the same way on your behalf. count on him because in the time we're living right now we're going to see things that are going to look like they're physically impossible for us to accomplish or for us to get through and that's where you're like father open my eyes to know that I'm not alone in this I've got brothers and sisters in my church but I know father that your spirit is going before us so whatever you called me to do you've anointed and prepared the way to supernaturally provide in, in whatever it is and I'm hitching my boat to you and my faith to you and I'm not going to allow it to be affected by what I see in the culture because they're two different things. I mean, the only thing I could tell you is, is to invite you up here and I'll set down a Big Mac and a prime rib from Texas Roadhouse. Now I can tell you that it's from the same cow. But it's not it's not the same thing. Do you hear my heart in this? Okay, move on. So we have got to be prepared. Um, and it's not, like, it's not like, oh my gosh, there's invasion coming. Or oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know what the future holds in that. What I'm saying is that we have got to prepare our hearts for whatever. Because there are going to be seasons that, of, of valleys that we're going to be go, go through. There are going to be seasons where we're from the valley, we're in the garden. There are going to be seasons where we're on the mountaintop. But my heart should not change. I shouldn't be more excited about the mountaintop than I should be uh, in the valley or the desert because he's the same God. As a matter of fact, I learn a lot more in the desert. I like the mountaintop, the experiences. You know, mountaintop, Moses talking with the Lord. I, I, I've had a few of those in my, in my life and those are great and those are wonderful, but the desert is where you flesh out those mountaintop experiences. Don't be afraid of the desert. Love the valleys. Enjoy the, the mountaintops, but don't fear the desert because you're only putting into practice what God has spoken over your life. It's like, you know, people get this thing and excited about what God has told them, and they're like, they want to go right out and do it, right? Like, well, hold on a second. There's a difference also between God's calling and God's timing. You hear what I'm saying? Moses is 40 years on the backside of a desert before he gets launched into what God, why? Because it took 40 years to prepare his heart. 
Why did it take 40 years to prepare at heart? He was ready at 40, but he didn't get released. He was called at 40, felt his call at 40, but didn't get released until 80. That's why he went out and killed people. That's why he went out and, and, and killed an Egyptian for beating a, a Jewish guy. Because he always had the call of deliver on his heart. But he didn't know how to work that out or flesh that out, so he went out. So it, it's going to be very dangerous if you try and go do what God has called you to do in your own power and in your own strength, like you've got this. Allow God to prepare your heart for what God is calling or speaking into your life. Listen, God speaks today. He speaks through his word and he speaks through his spirit. And when he's speaking through his spirit, you take what he's saying in your spirit and you take it to the word or you take it to trusted friends because there are deceiving spirits out there. This is why we need everybody, one another. All right, so he's been spoken to. The Lord has, uh, the Lord reached out. He said, I have now filled your mouth with my words. And that's so important, especially for this whole, uh, you know, we, I believe in the prophetic. I absolutely do. You know, God believes in the prophetic. I don't know if you've, you've known that from the Bible. He doesn't, the Bible tells us that he doesn't, he doesn't declare anything except through his prophets in the Old Testament. So yes, God, God, God has prophetic people in our lives, but there's also so much garbage out there as well too. And you have to, you have to measure it um, through discernment. All right, so um, he's gonna fill our mouths with his words. He appointed him, he appointed Jeremiah over nations and kingdoms to uproot them, to tear them down, to destroy, demolish, to build, and to plant. That's a mighty powerful calling. As a matter of fact, I think really that uh, when you read in the New Testament, I, I really think that the church picks up some of this mantle in establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. All right, let's move from there. Isaiah, I'll go to Isaiah chapter six. Now, the reason I'm starting with Isaiah chapter 6 is because Isaiah chapter 6 is where comes this massive meeting with God, right? Okay, he says, in the year uh, King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing there above him. Each one had six wings, two covered his face. It, you know, he's going through this description, one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. You know, when it says holy, 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 he's not, it's actually one loud holy. The three holies are an, ex, are an emphasis on how loud this is screaming. So it's like, holy! It's not holy, holy, holy. They're screaming holiness before the face of God. Why is that? Why is that? Because even these angelic beings who've been created are standing before his presence and seeing the holiness of God. And it's not like, oh man, I screamed for 20 minutes. It was awesome. They're in his presence and they are so enamored with the presence and the holiness of God that all they can do is scream holy. That's all they can do. Holy is the Lord God of hosts. His glory fills the temple. Why? Because that's, because that's who he is. When you have, when you have supernatural beings right? Supernatural angels, seraphim, all these supernatural beings created for the supernatural, which is actually their natural, right? Walking in heaven, seeing God do the, seeing God, all these different kinds of things, but all of a sudden they come before his presence and all they can do is shout, holy is the Lord God of hosts. I'm asking you this question. If that's what angels do, what has happened to the voice of the church? Because she should be having that same type of encounter with God till all she can do is shout, holy, it's the Lord God of hosts. And then, and then the church, and then she's just impacted by his presence that she should be screaming. See, the church is really a Proverbs 31 woman. I don't know if you knew that. To where she should be going out in the streets calling about for her husband. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Because she's impacted of, of, of by his presence. And she can't do anything else but shout of the goodness and the glory of who he is. because we haven't truly encountered him or we encountered him once and it was enough. No, man. No. I refuse. It's never enough.
never enough. And Isaiah is having an encounter. He comes before him. Seeing the foundations of the doorways, they shake at the sound of voices that the angels are saying, and the temple is filled with smoke, and he says, woe is me, for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among unclean people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the king and the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is going to be wrecked for anything else because of this encounter that he has with the Lord. And from that encounter, he is not going to be dissuaded from going and speaking and doing what God is asking him to do. You know this. I, who shall I send? Till finally I, Isaiah has seen so much, he's like, me, send me. I'll go. I'll be your man. What is the Lord saying today? His eyes are looking upon the earth. And the call is the same. Will you be my man? Will you be my woman? Will you come and just, and just encounter me for who I am? So that I can set you on a course. Don't get me wrong, there, there, there have been people that have had encounters and have walked away. I don't understand it, but I, it has happened. But for those who are desperate, who are hungry, and who are thirsty for the Lord, who are, at, who are pursuing him, who desire to be used by him, not because I'm, you're insecure about stuff, but because you love him. He's everything. It's not about anything else that this world has to offer, but it's everything of who he is. And we haven't even scratched the surface of who he is. We've got glimpses, maybe. And I'm not talking about gifts or anything like that. I'm just talking about who he is that has yet to be revealed in us. But as we draw close, as we position ourselves, and by position, and I'm not talking about, hey, position, I'm talking about the position to, to draw close to the Lord is flat on my face in humbleness because of who he is and who I am. As we draw near to him, we have this promise that he will draw near to us. So he, if he isn't drawing near, what's the problem? People are spiritually fat and lazy. And have forgotten, just like here. And so lastly, you, I'll go back to Isaiah chapter 1 and look what he says in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. He's talking to uh, God's people, people, Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your sacrifices to me, asked the Lord. I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come before me, who requires this from you? This trampling of my court. Stop bringing your useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbath, the calling of the solemn assembly. I cannot stand the iniquity of, with a festival. I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. I'm tired of putting up with them. When you lift your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen because your hands are covered with blood. What is he saying? Who is he talking to? He's not talking about the people that have done Israel wrong. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to Judah. The very things that he set in place for worship, he's now saying, I can't stand this garbage anymore. Because it was never God's intention for you to go through rituals with not having your heart involved in it through love. See, what we've done is we try to do rituals to make ourselves love him better, and that never works. If I work hard enough, if I strive hard enough, if I do this, I do this, God's got to be pleased with me, right? No. Those are, those are your own rags of righteousness that are detestable to him. What does God want that he wants? Your heart. He wants the very thing that's within you that, that all your decisions revolve around, the very desires of who you are. He wants you to desire him more than anything so that everything you decide, everything you think about in this earth revolves around the person of who he is on the throne and in your life. It means I don't make decisions about, about my life without putting them before the Lord. It's like, does he really care about that? Yeah, I think he does. 
I think he is honored. Even if you think it's a decision that it doesn't really make a difference, what, what does, I think the Lord is honored when you come before him and you put these things before him, even if they don't think like big, feel like big deals. Why? Because you're putting into the practice of your life revolving around him, not him trying to revolve around your life. Tipping God with your time and your talent and your treasure instead of allowing him to be your treasure and everything around about you revolves around him. There are prayers that God does not listen to. There are some fallacies going around. God hears every prayer. No, he does not. He hears the prayers of repentance. And then from that, the prayers that are offered from receiving Christ, yes. He doesn't, he doesn't hear the prayers of the proud. See, we, we've made God this, this easy thing for us to approach. It is not, it is not you know, it's, it's just God. He's Jesus, he's my homeboy, right? And we've, we've forgotten the respect of, of, and the holiness of who he is. is why we treat him as common, which is why then our sin becomes not so much a big deal because he's just love. Jesus takes your sin. No question. No question. But he's called you to not to continue to live in them after he's spoken, after you've received him. And he's given you the power, the glory of who he is that produces transformation in your life. You can't just say a prayer and refuse the transformative work of God in your life. Because you come to him as you are, but you leave him different. You leave him changed. Heaven and hell is in the balance of this. It's not just do you believe in Jesus. It's about what you believe about Jesus. Because there's a lot of people who say they believe in Jesus. There's a lot of culture out there that say they believe in Jesus. It's not about what that you believe in Jesus it's about what you believe about Jesus. So whether you believe what he says about himself in, in, in the gospel of John, the seven, well, actually eight I am statements. There's seven I am statements, but then he reveals himself as the I am, which I count that as eight. John 1, that chapter 1, testifying of who he is, the statements of who, him testifying of who he is. See, he's not... He's not just a cool guy. He's not a guru. He's not just someone that you can take advice from. It's like, well, I'll just snatch that. No, 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 no. You have to understand this because you're given the opportunity to decide for yourself what you believe and how it will impact your life in the person of who Christ is. You can believe a, a whole bunch of garbage out there that has come from culture that tries to demean what the word of God said. Listen, do you realize the Bible is still the best-selling book and, and, and she has been come under attack by higher criticism of the 1800s. She's come under attack of all these different kinds of things, but she has stood the test of time against everything that has come against her, all lies, all of that kind of stuff. It has stood the test of time. It's still the best-selling book. Why? Because it has the answer that is deep within your heart that you're looking for in the person of who Christ is. And she is unrelenting of it. She will not let you change it because she, in the written word, is a reflection of the living word and his name will not be defiled. So you can, you can believe in Jesus. But what do you believe about Jesus? See, that's a, that's a big step. Because many people are, are holding on to a universalist theology that everybody just saved. They don't know it yet. Jesus and me got this deal. You ain't got no deal with Jesus. You didn't make no deal with God. He made a deal with you that I provided because I love you a way for you to come and into my presence again through my son. That's it. Buddha didn't get it. Hare Krishna didn't get it. Hinduism didn't get it. You name it, anything else didn't get it. God sent Christ. And that's the heaven or hell thing. I don't like hell. 
you realize hell was never created for mankind. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Hell was not created for mankind. But man, and God never sends anybody to hell. Do you know that? He doesn't send people to hell. He has provided for people not to go there. But the decision about what you believe about Jesus is what will weigh in the balance of eternity. It's all on you. It's all on you. I believe he is the son of God. I believe he was, is, will be. There's nobody that stands and compares him. He doesn't take counsel from anybody about his godliness. He will not be, I'll tell you what, there's people that are saying some horrible, blasphemous things about who Jesus is on this earth today, but let me tell you something. And there are some people who are gonna say, man, when I get to heaven, I'm just gonna walk up and say what I wanna say. No, you ain't. You're gonna be flat on your face, crying, weeping, because it's too late for you to change what you said you believed about Jesus. When the heart stops or the sky splits or he comes back, it's over. Because time is done. The decision is now. The decision is today. You don't have tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed anything. You've got right now about what you believe about who Jesus is. Now, you can continue to be a cultural Christian. That's you. Those are your decisions. You can continue down this way. You can continue down that way. You can do all these different kinds of things. That doesn't change who he really is. It doesn't change the Bible. It doesn't... He is who he said he is. He will be who he said he'll be, and he'll do what he said he'll do. Just as much as he'll fill us today, he's also, the Father is also going to be a judge at the end of time. And he'll hear no weeping, and he'll hear no excuses. He will just separate sheep and goats. Speak the words that I give you to say, and do not cower before them, or do not, and do not cower, or I will make you cower before them this is could be the finest hour of the church people are you in because who I don't know what 2021 is going to look like but I'm preparing my heart to declare the glory of God in whatever situation comes and I will not be dissuaded of it Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.